You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to this Washington Post Live subscriber event. My name is Sarah Ellison. I'm thrilled to welcome Brian Cox as our guest today. Mr. Cox is, of course, known for his wide variety of roles that he has played over the years, most recently as the patriarch Logan Roy in the hit HBO series Succession. He joins us today, however, in his capacity as author. And he pulls no punches about Hollywood, politics, or his own successes and failures in his new book, Putting the Rabbit in the Hat. Welcome, Brian. We're so happy to have you. Nice to be here, or there, or everywhere. Um, I want to start with your childhood, which is where you go early on in the book, and you talk about some of the difficulties of that time. Um, For example, you lost your father when you were only eight years old. I'm wondering, writing the book, was it difficult to revisit those moments? Not really. Uh, there are moments that are still with me, and they're always with me. I mean, my, mem- my, my sense of my father is still as strong as it was when I was eight, which I find extraordinary because a lot of people don't even, can't remember that. But I, it's such a vivid image for me. And also the stuff that I went through. I mean, ostensibly, I had a very uh, happy childhood up until that point. I'm really blissful. Uh, I was the youngest. I was probably spoiled. Um, my mom, unfortunately, was ill a lot of my childhood. She had, um, well, she had a very difficult birth, and uh, I, I, I was the reason for that difficult birth, you know. So uh, she suffered a lot from that, and and she wasn't in the best of health. And I think there was a, I think my mother was very, she was very much like many many women of that generation and that time, and, and particularly from the working class or as you would say, blue collar background. And uh, I think she was thwarted considerably. And I think that was what was so difficult. I found this letter from her when I was, um, actually after the event, I was going through some stuff and we found this little handbag and there was a, it was actually a diary entry about my dad and it was so beautifully written. Uh, and she's, she understates this wonderful phrase where she said, well, we had our little differences. And, uh, you know, they they may seem little to her, but I don't think they were, when you look at it historically, it's not at all little. Uh, My son was with me, my youngest son, and he was very affected by it. And uh, she could write, you know, she really had a talent for putting thoughts and words together. And possibly that's what I've inherited from her. But she, again, she had no outlet when she was, you know, she had five kids. She helped my dad initially run the shop because he would, he he was a little bit wary about giving up his job, you know, but he did, and it wasn't very long. I mean, it was after only about, I think, 18 months, and he gave up his job, and he actually became very good at it. But his problem was he was just immensely generous, and uh, that was his soul. He was a real, the real meaning of the word. I know it's a dirty word in America, but the real word, what socialist means is, 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 care for the community, care for one's fellow man, you know, and being of of a social being, you know, and that's what he was. So he always said to my mom, you know, I can't change who I am, that's who I am. And it was, you know, but he did suffer from it because he wasn't a great businessman. And uh, he lost quite a bit of money on, on bad investments. 
So there was a, that, and then he got ill, and that was all very sudden. He died within three weeks of his diagnosis. And my mother, she, because she'd been on his case, I think rightly so in many ways, but, you know, people, people thought my mom was a bit tough, but she was trying to keep our family together, and my father was this generous soul. And, uh, you know, she, she, she had a complete breakdown. She felt very guilty. I think, for what had happened and the fact that she lost her husband at really a very young age. He was only 51, and she was 48, I think. And I, I think it was really, it really got her. I think it affected her greatly. And, and this, you know, because she clearly loved him very dearly. But as always happens in relationships, is sometimes you don't express that love. You take it for granted a bit too much. His death sort of plunged your family into what you describe as the mouse wheel of poverty. I'm wondering if you could talk about how you coped through that time and, and what you did um, as a child to manage that. Well, as a child, I, I, I sort of, I mean, I think really that's where I, I lived in my imagination. You know, I, I think that was my great surviving thing, the, the power of the imagination. and. I, you see, when I, when I put it down on paper, it looks terrible. <laughs> it looks really, oh God, this is terrible. But at the time, it wasn't, it didn't feel that terrible. It just felt, this is what I was doing. I was surviving. You know, I was trying to be, and my survival instincts were all intact and still are intact, touch wood. And it was my, it was just the fact that I was really surviving. And it was tough, you know, my mom, she was in hospital for quite a bit and she had electric shock treatment, which destroyed a lot of her short term memory. So there was a lot of things she didn't remember, which was sad for her. And it was also quite crude her treatment in those days. And then uh, she she had to work. My mom, my father left no money. So and by then, by the time my mother was done, she my brother had gone to the army, the shops were gone we'd lost them and uh, she uh, she just it was just too much for her and she had this breakdown and, and as I said with uh, my dad and then she came out after the treatment and she tried to get a job she worked as a cleaner in a in a school thing and uh, uh, you know just to keep body and soul together but that was difficult for her so she was Quite a while she didn't work and she just existed on a widow's pension and that was for me and her uh, we lived off that and it was a meager amount and uh, she paid the rent and sometimes you know okay not very not often but we had three maybe three or four times when i would there was a local fish and chip shop across the road from where we lived and i would have to i i wouldn't have to but i did it on my own I did it on my own volition. I, I went there and I would say, look, have you got any batter bits? And batter bits were the bits of the back of the chip, back of the chip pan, which was basically flour, you know, you know, like, you know, uh, like you get covered in, you know, we went back and sold and we ate it. Uh, and then Friday it was okay because she got a pension. So we, you know, it was really hand to mouth, that expression hand to mouth. And uh, I don't know, it was also, yeah, it was not good. I mean, the worst thing I, I, I the worst thing about my childhood that I made me unhappy was when I came home from school and she'd gone wandering. And, 
I didn't have a key. I wasn't a latchkey kid. I did eventually get a key because I got wise to it. But I didn't have a key, so I used to sit on the stairs and wait for her to come back. And she wondered, she said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I've been here for about a couple of hours. Oh, I'm sorry, son. I just got carried away, you know. She was, she was also very funny, my mom. She was, she was quite a character. I mean, she really was, you know, things like when I finally started to act and, uh, and I did my first couple of televisions, and she said, Brian, I've had a word with the neighbors and I've got a book and she had this big book and I said, what's that book? She said, well, I'm getting signatures and we're going to send this book to the BBC and see if we can get you on television much more often. And I'm going, mother, it doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> Why not? I said, well, there's a whole system, man, that you would never really understand. But she was, she was very dear, you know. Mothers around the world can relate to that sort of sentiment, yeah. I think. Um, but you did find the theater at a relatively young age. You joined yeah. the Dundee Repertory Theater. And I'm wondering if you hadn't found that, if you hadn't found acting, have you ever thought of what your life would have oh, been? From, I shouldn't from think. I shouldn't think. I think because I, I love traveling, I think I would have probably joined something like the Merchant Navy or something like that. You know, I would have joined the Merchant Navy and probably, you know, been a an assistant cook or something and, and travel around the world. I, 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 I mean, I did actually think of the alternative, but then I put the alternative away because I knew I was going to do what I was going to do, come hell or high water. And something at some point made you leave the theater and move to Hollywood, not literally move to Hollywood, but move into movie acting. I'm wondering what was the catalyst yeah. for that? It moved to Hollywood. I was 50 and I'd done everything that I can do. And my great, <laughs> I was very attracted, not just to America as, uh, as for the work. Of course, the work was something, but I was also attracted to the idea of what I was led to believe was an egalitarian culture and an egalitarian society where. There was a sense of all men being equal. Um, I, I, I found it's not quite like that as I imagined it was going to be. So I was kind of, you know, even at the, I had this, you know, and I, of course, I was, a, the world of the movies was the thing that sustained me throughout my childhood. And really, you know, I mean, when my father died, I remember I was put in front of a television set and there was a couple of movies on, I was watching that. And that always is a source of comfort to me. Still, I love watching television you know i, I do i i find it comfortable I find it makes me comfortable but um no i mean i uh, quickly realized that i was you know I, I that i would have to just the theater was just like a wonderful kind of sort of opening of of everything for me you know and i i, I couldn't imagine anything else but it you know, that was what it was. I had a taste of it as a child when I was very, very young, when I was very little. I had a taste of that, and I was reading about it today, actually. Somebody talked about it. It was, oh, it was Ruth Gordon talking to Edith Evans. She talked about it. And, and, and Ruth, Edith Evans talks about harmony. And I remember that sense of when I was a little boy, when, I, when my dad put me on our coal bunker, which was on our window recess, and which was probably my first stage, and there were curtains, and he drew them, and I would do, would you believe it, Al Jolson impersonations. And I just remember 
the audience, the, the people in the room, and the, you know, we we had a lot of friends, and you know, it's got big working class communities. So there was a lot of people in the room, even though it was very small. But I remember the sense of harmony, the sense of community coming in, that feeling of people coming together to focus on something. And there's, there's it's both exciting and you know, thrilling, and yet and also moving, because one human beings. You know, when their egos go off and they've gone and they're just there focusing something that's not about them, but it's about who they are, you know. And I, I just thought that was as a little, I mean, I had this thing as a, as a, as a three-year-old. I had this vision of something and it was, um, it never left me. So it was in many ways what sustained me into the theatre, you know, which is why I knew that's why. It wasn't I wanted to be an actor, and I, you know, I, I was an actual show-off. But it was the sensation that one got, you know? You've said in other interviews that when you were writing this book, all sorts of strange emotions um, came up as a result of it. I'm wondering if you could describe um, one of those or the strangest one that you experienced and why. Well, in many ways, the one, one of the most, one of the, strangest things I felt and that was the thing that kind of was actually about my brother uh it, it was the it was the fact that I my brother and I have very little connection you know we we weren't connected really and uh uh what happened I wanted I remember him being ill and I was you know I was very sad about him being ill but I was you know, when he was he was terminally ill, and uh, and I saw him, and I was sad. And when he died, I didn't feel anything. And and there was always this disconnect between my brother because he was that much older than me, and he also ran off to the army when my dad died. And I realized, quite as I was doing the book, I realized he had it a lot worse than I had it because he went to the army and he. You know, he became slightly brutalized by that experience. Is 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 what happens in the army. It makes you wake up, you know, and you and and you do get you can get brutalized if you're you're not very if you're not a defensive of yourself, a defensive in the right way of yourself. And I that was the thing that genuinely actually it moved me. In fact, it made me cry that I, I I didn't have that relationship with my brother, and I didn't really understand because all the attention was on me. So I thought it was all about me. I didn't even really understand how lost he was. And my sister tells this story about when he uh, he was crying, and to cover up his crying, he he grabbed an orange and he grabbed an orange and he started to peel this orange, and he was he was just crying into the orange so that nobody could see him. And she remembers seeing him, and uh, she told me that only a couple of years ago. And I, I just, I don't know, it was something that came to me and some kind of lost connection and, and, and mourning for something that was quite, quite hit me quite strongly. Um, I want to move, leap forward um, to succession, um, mm -hmm. which is a role you came to relatively late in in your career um and you you've you told deadline that you believe that succession is so popular because people love to hate um and i'm wondering if that's particularly resonant now because um 
the country so politically divided, or if you think that that's something that has ever been thus? Well, I suspect it's ever been thus, but it's particularly amplified at the moment, and we've seen it with, you know, the ex president's family. You know, I don't want to give any more discussion than that, but his family, we've seen it. We've seen it with the Murdochs to a certain extent. Uh, you know, and, we, and we've seen it with people who are disconnected. You know, I mean, the, the thing about Logan, he's a self-made man, and, and therefore all his attention has gone into that. And he's created his world, and he's he's grown. Maybe he started with a quite a quite a social conscience, and he's now stewed all that, and he's become more right wing, and his beliefs more, you know, and uh, his own. He believes in himself more than anything else, and but his children, of course, are they are the benefit. They've had the ben They are the beneficiaries, but also they are the sufferers of it. Because they don't know what to do, they don't know how to cope, and they are selfish, avaricious, uh, and it's you can blame him and say it's all his fault, but it's not his fault altogether. It's a system that's at fault, a system that creates this, and it's all to do with money, you know, and how money distances you from people. How you know when somebody doesn't have something, it means a lot more to them than people who have something. Some people who have something also are very careful and very considerate about how they do it. But money is a kind of, it's a tricky thing. It's a, it's a bit of a, it, it can be a plague. It, it can be a power for good. Don't get me wrong. It can be an absolute power for good. But at the same time, it can be something which, which kind of gnaws away you, kind of eats away at you in one way. And, or, or, or puts you in a false perspective to, reality sometimes and that's what's so interesting about the show that the show deals with that and deals with it really in a satirical way in a in a really almost like a document a kind of satire a satirical document of the times and that's the strength of the genius that is jesse armstrong and he's equally genius writers that he works with who are extraordinary and, and do incredible work and we just you know we are the we are the machines by which that mark what comes out so that's that's the power of it and that's what's interesting about the show and that's what's interesting about the dynamic of and of course because logan who's actually older than me uh, and i have lived lives we see the we do see the human as you've shown in your little preview on the screen there we do see the fact that human and people, human beings, are disappointing, and yet they're not disappointing when their audiences, which is ironic. <laughs> they're just so right how, with their audiences. How much of Brian Cox is Logan Roy, and and vice versa? How are you two? How similar are the two um, people? Well, he's. He, there are, you know, it would be wrong to say that. Oh no! Oh, he's got nothing to do with me. Um, I mean, when you play roles like Logan, you have to try and understand them, uh, and you can't judge them. You must understand without judging. When you play any, if you, I mean, I played Hermann Goering, I played uh, Winston Churchill, uh, and I and I played Hannibal Lecter. So I played a few <laughs> kind of extreme characters. But you have to judge them 
from where they are, not from what you think you do. And you can't gear it. And, and, and the greater the writer, the greater the story. It's always that's how it plays out. And it's the audience to make whatever the audience make out of it. So I, I think with Logan and I, the, the, of course, there are similarities. Uh, um, I've, <laughs> one thing that Logan's had, one effect he's had on me is my language. I, I swear a lot more than I've ever before in my life. I mean, I'm swear, I swear a lot. I have to curb myself now, which of course, and Logan is so free with his swearing. And I, and I, and I used to swear, but not like Logan Roy, but now he's, he's affected me in that way. Because there's also something liberating about swearing, you know, and I think he uses that as a, as a tool, a liberating tool. So there's that aspect. And then there's this thing about, the human experiment and and where we're at with it, you know, and, and and how failing it is, and 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 as you reach the end of your life, you're beginning to think, well, to hell with it. That's the way it is, and we're well out of it, and too bad, and it's not going to get any better. Now that's the difference between me and Logan, because Logan is is a true misanthrope or a misanthrope, and I am an optimist. Hmm. I still, you know, I see a horrible day and I still feel that man will get better. And I'm I mean, homo sapien. And uh, it's, it's just interesting. But, but, and that's a great divide. That is a real divide. And that's the big difference between Logan and I. But I can't let, you know, and, but, and Logan is cunning. You know, he's more cunning than I am. He's much more clever. He's much more, he sees the way to things like that. And of course, I have to learn to do that in the role. And of course, it's also opened me up to certain things. Oh, that's what it's about. Oh, I see. I only understood that because I played Logan Roy, but before I didn't, you know, that kind of thing. Um, as part of the this event for subscribers, we allow subscribers to ask questions of you. And literally one fifth of the questions that we received from them are about the relationship between Logan Roy and his children. Um, and the, the biggest question is, does he love his children? Um, Absolutely. And Absolutely. I'd love to hear you. He loves his children. I mean, that, that, this was the thing because, uh, you know, I mean, and I have four kids myself, and I actually have three sons and a daughter, like Logan. <laughs> Except my, yeah, my daughter, my daughter isn't the youngest. Um, my, I have a, my son. One of my sons is the youngest. Yeah, and I mean, I asked Jesse this way back, right at the beginning. I said, because you know, in a way, there has to be in all our lives. There's always a counter tension. We always, we're always being pushed. It's always push me, pull you. And I was wondering what push me, pull you, what Logan's push me, pull you was. And I think that his push me, pull you is the fact that he does indeed. And I asked Jesse, does he love his children? Yes, he loves his children. And once you've established that, it, it then actually takes on, it, it then becomes ultimately quite tragic. You know, it, it, it can also be kind of, oh God, silly old man, <laughs> what an idiot. But it's but it, but I see the dilemma in that. I see the the counterpoint in that. The fact that he behaves the way he does, and yet he loves them. But he's also deeply, of course, distressed by them. 
he finds them really distressing in the fact that they become so treacherous and so avaricious. You know, when he says in the last episode, and he says, make your own F pile, you know, it's so true. You go, yeah, that's what they need to do. That's what they need to understand. And of course, they don't understand. They want everything given to them. They want it. They, they, you know, it's that sense of entitlement. And that's, I think, what's is, which, which, which is really at the core of, of, of the show, actually, is, is, is that, that thing that is ludicrously funny and yet tremendously moving. But it's also, it also relates to the, the history of drama. You know, drama is all about that, that counter-tension and counter-tension. I mean, I played, I played Titus Andronicus and I played King Lear. So I've been in that territory. I've been in that area before as an actor. So I kind of, kind of, it's familiar territory to me. And of course, being a father, I know the countertensions of that. I know that, uh, yes, I love my children, certainly, but also sometimes my children drive me absolutely crazy, you know, to the point of where I could be screaming. You know, they have done. Um, it seems to be it seems to be quite quiet at the moment, but you know, but that does happen. Um, I want to go through because that relationship is such a fascination for people. Um, do you think Logan Roy has a favorite child? I think he did have a favorite child. I think we all, you know, I think fathers are naturally drawn to their daughters. You know, I am. Certainly, and I think that's a, there's something about that. There's something about the feminine that is, you know, the fact that you you participated in the creation of a feminine spirit and a feminine person. There's something extraordinary about that, and 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 mysterious. You know, I mean, boys are boys, and so you know, one of the problems is you have as a father is oh, you not think of that before you ever went down, and that's always awful to do that especially to your male children. But with your daughter, there's always a sense of wonder and mystery and ongoing conversation, you know? Uh, and uh, I think that that's what he got. So Shiv clearly was his, Shiv clearly was his favorite child. I think she is falling short considerably because he can see through her mercenary behavior because he's not a fool. I mean, Logan is not a fool. And he sees her, this behavior and he goes, it, it's very hard for him to, he, he chokes on it a little bit, you know? Um, you've referenced some of your wonderful roles that you've played over the years. And yet, arguably, you, you're enjoying your, your most famous moment now. Um, I, your well, seven you know, sorry, I didn't mean to no, interrupt you. Please, go ahead. Well, no, you see, I was always, it's funny, I had this, it's part of my part of my intuitive self, and part of the fact that I was told when I was really quite young, it was going to be the long haul for me. And I, and of course, I've seen actors come and go throughout my career. And I've seen actors blaze into fire and then, and end as creatures where they're sad sometimes. Some go gracefully. Some, it, you know, I've I've seen ones that are gracefully. But the ones that have been have, that have flown very near the sun and do get burnt, 
when they are and when they're done, when they're, they're, they're acting career, there is something that is very, again, thwarted for them. Um, and I, 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 even at early parts in their career, when they reach a, a point, so I've always got, I've always done well. I've, I can't complain. I mean, right from the age, I mean, I made my West End debut when I was 21, which was pretty amazing, really, when you think about playing Orlando and As You Like It and the Shakespeare play. So that's pretty incredible. But I always get to the point where I think, okay, I've got to, I've got to rein back now. I, I can't go. I, and I did that throughout my career. I would, at certain points, I could, you could mark a time where I decided to go in a different direction, just in career where I joined the RSC, which nobody ever thought I'd do, and then work that way. And then when I'd done that, leave it, and then go to the national. And then when I'd done that, I thought, I'm going to go back to television, and I could see the difficulty in the 90s. And I thought, no, I, this thing that I always had, which was the movies. Because that was my culture when I was a child. So I just thought, no, no, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to Hollywood. <laughs> That's what I decided upon. And so that was, that was part of, and also because I didn't want to be that kind of actor that they, that the, the British actor is, you know, that sort of, sort of received notion, even though I like all the, the, the I like all that, the kind of ritual side of it, the Garrett Club and all that stuff. I love all that stuff. But I didn't want to be into that thing, you know, and I didn't also want to become a drinker or what have you, you know, which is the other, you know, where actors who end up as drunks, you know, though that happens less and less nowadays than it used to. I mean, when I was young, there was a lot of that around. So I wanted to, I wanted to keep going. And I knew if I timed it right, I could keep on. And I remember when this came up, succession came up, I just knew this is it. Finally, this is the moment. And also, as you get older, the great thing is things start to, tremendous things, weights come off your shoulders. So you're not worried. That, and this is a problem that actors always have, is they worry, they do worry what people think of them, you know. And now I don't give a toss about what anybody thinks of me, as long as I do my job and do it as well as I can. You know, that, that's my main concern. But as a, you know, as a boy, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I had a vision of that. And people kept saying, you, you know, I'll come, but it'll be a long time down the line. I didn't know it was going to be nearly 60 years. But actually, I've had an amazing, great career. You know, right from the word go, I've done everything that I could do in repertory theatre in the UK. I mean, people look at my career and go, wow, you know, that's incredible. But I was just getting on with it, really. You know. Um. I want to get to some of our subscriber questions because there are a lot of them. Um, okay. And the first one is from Simon Amy in the UK. And he asks, what would Logan Roy think of you, Brian Cox? I think Logan Roy would think of me as, you know, not bad. He's a nice enough guy, but he does waffle on. You know, I wish he could use one word instead of seven. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would be he would he would be a bit intolerant of me. He might like my sense of humor. He would quite like that. But I think he would and also he certainly wouldn't like my politics. He would hate my politics. He would hate my politics. You know, he would just go, Why is he wasting his time in that way? What a stupid man. You know, I mean people, doesn't he know? And I say it, politics are people. It's actually a quote from the show, but I love you to show it. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think he would, you know, he, would, he wouldn't he would dislike me, but he would think I was an idiot. 
basically. But that's okay by me. Um, Kenneth Levison asks, who is the most compelling actor or actress you have ever worked with? Oh, well, there's a few, uh, actually. Actresses, Miranda Richardson and Holly Hunter, two of the finest actresses. Cherry Jones, I didn't actually play with Cherry enough. She was pretty amazing. I mean, she's pretty amazing. Sarah Snook, she's pretty something. She's, she's something else. Men, Peter O'Toole, Albert Penny, Alan Bates, Tom Courtney, um, the younger generation, I think the younger, the younger theatre generation, uh, somebody who has <laughs> gone. <laughs> you don't have to give any love to the younger generation if you're not feeling it. <laughs> No, I mean, there are a few actors I, I really admire. There are, you know, young people like, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, I, I have a lot of respect for as an actor. Um, Mary Kristen Check from Minnesota asks, how has playing Logan Roy affected your view of the media? And don't consider well, my feelings when you answer this question. <laughs> I think journalism actually is the one thing I, I actually really do like about America. I think you've got some bloody good journalists here and some really, and, and actually I, I think sort of intellectual fervor is very much protected by, because it used to be more, you could see more of it around in the days of Gore Vidal and uh, Buckley, you know, in those days you could see that intellectual fervor. But you see it, you don't see it on television anymore i mean that was the great thing about um oh that guy used to do the chat show very intelligent little guy um, dick cabot the, dick yeah cabot absolutely got it in one thank you cabot you could see that then it was it was vibrant nowadays it actually does belong to the writers and and the journalists there's a lot of that around which is great I mean, a great friend of mine is frank rich who i have huge respect for absolutely huge i mean he used to Frank Rich used to be known as the butcher of Broadway, but I mean, there's nobody less like a butcher than Frank Rich. You know, and I, he's wonderful, and his writings are wonderful too. Um, and also, you know, what I feel about the American media is it's all one way or another. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of soapbox stuff from both the left and the right in in the in American media, which I find really su surprised. I mean, of course, being towards the left rather than the right, I mean, center left. I mean, I go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But then I think, wait a minute, this, this is too rich a diet. Come on, CNN, just cool it a wee bit. <laughs> you know, just, and then when I look at Fox, I go, ooh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's it's that. It's, it's so weird in this country. Whereas I have to say, that's why I always watch the news, the BBC News. I mean, the BBC, and it comes down to a good old Scot called Lord Reith, who started the whole thing. And he's put the stamp on it and it hasn't shifted. It's that balance. It's all balance, whatever it is. It's balance, you know. It's, and um, it's great. You know, we have great stuff. Our journalists can be really considerable. You know? you know, there are moments when there are dips, you know, but on the whole, they're pretty good. Um, you're pretty unsparing about some of your fellow, fellow actors. 
Um, and I'm wondering if you received any pushback. Um, this is coming from oh, Brian Well in Georgia. Did you have any pushback yeah. from the editors or the legal staff um, at your publishing house about the content of the book because of your thoughts opinion, and opinions of some pretty famous people? No, no, I don't. I haven't had any legal stuff. But I have actually, I mean, it's very funny when you write a book, you write it, and sometimes you're a bit quick. You go, I have a bit of a gag, you know, or just a thing, you know, like if I say somebody is overrated, for example. And usually what I mean is there's a very big burden in being overrated because it means that you have to bear the burden of everybody saying, oh, he's the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And sometimes the strength rated so, uh, you know, that you back off, just give, you know, as Jesus said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and give unto God what is God. You know, you, you have to be a bit more like that about it. In fact, I'm writing an addendum for the paperback, if we get a paperback edition, and we're certainly having one in, in, in the UK, and I'm writing an addendum about exactly that subject, linked to, funny enough, to my own assessment of my own sons, which, you know, who are, have been teenagers and are now out of it now. And, uh, and I realized, because I never had that feeling, that sort of hormonal thing that happens to young men between the ages of, well, really between the ages of 13 until they're 19, you know. So it's a kind of, you know, this hormonal panel that they're in. Um. We heard from John Kiley in Texas, and I think this is an excellent question, um, but he asks, does the range of characters you portray require a special gift? Born, read, Churchill, please advise where it comes from and how you keep developing this exceptional skill. I would have asked this in a less fawning way, but I am interested in your, in your range um, because it's obviously I, something you've well, developed. I mean it's very, very hard because we're living in a time where range is not really wanted. You know, I want, you know, because I came from the background I came from, I wasn't, I mean, I, I like being Scottish now, but when I was younger, I, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I wanted to learn how to speak because uh, I, you know, I had a very, I thought, I can, can, that's what I spoke, right? That was, that was my accent. Yeah, that was it. Horrible. Well, charming, but horrible. And uh, so I thought, I really want to learn how to speak. I want to learn how to live in other people's skins. I want to learn about how other people are and where they're coming from, what their backgrounds are. So in a way, that means that your range developed, you know, and also I wanted to understand the real, what classical theater means and what particularly how you act Shakespeare. And, you know, I've learned a lot from the tackling of Shakespeare and the fact that structure and sense go hand in hand. And also musicality goes hand in hand with structure and sense. So a sense of musicality, a sense of how you make someone listen without kind of pushing it too hard is, is also the skill of the actor. So I've tried to do that. Uh, and it's not just, a, it seems like a technique, but it's not. It's actually, it's a more, it's a, it's a finer thing about what, what you're presenting to the, to the audience in a way. And so that's been my drive as an actor is, 
and uh, you know i'm so grateful for i'm so grateful for you know having acted you know william shakespeare because he is extraordinary he's the most extraordinary writer ever and he's subtle and he's funny and he's witty and he's sharp and and the 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 thing that you have to learn is the is the the use of the verse what does the iambic mean what does that mean in terms of sense and it all ties up if you give it the attention it deserves and also which is more important it serves you as an actor and it serves you not just in classical work but also in in work of a more modern nature um Asim Akram asks, um, has anyone from the Murdoch family ever contacted you to comment on your show or role? <laughs> no, the one thing that did happen to me was I was um, I, I, I was at my local cafe back in, in London, in uh, Primrose Hill, and uh, I was having, because um, I'd spent my time between London and, and Brooklyn, where I live, and uh, I was just ordering my latte, you know, it was early in the morning, and suddenly this voice behind me said, well, um, uh, yes, we're, we're liking it. I went, what was he talking to me? He said, no, we're, we're liking it. On the whole, yeah, we're liking it very much. And I, went, and I realized he was talking to me. I said, sorry, you know, I, succession, we're liking it very much. It's difficult at times. And I said, oh, I'm sorry about that. I said, no, 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 it's, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I'm fine. I mean, I, no, I think it's, it's very funny. And I, I really, um, you know, but my, my wife does, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for her sometimes. And I said, oh, your wife, well, why, is, why is it hard for her sometimes? She said, well, um, my wife is Elizabeth, my wife is Elizabeth Murdoch. Hang on. Sorry, I'm on, the, I'm on television now. Hold on. Bye. Sorry about that interruption, <laughs> but life goes on. Uh, so, and he said, and I said, oh, uh, Elizabeth Murdoch. Yeah. I said, well, you know, it's not about your, that family. You know, he said, well, uh, he said, well, we, everybody else thinks it is. I said, yeah, but it, it is about a family, but it's not then. I said, the Roy's, I said, it, it's the Roy's. And I said, and also, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I made the point that, um, you know, the difference is that, he never, Logan Roy never inherited anything. Uh, Rupert Murdoch did. I said, and that's that's a key difference in the show. And I said, as far as the, your wife is concerned, I said, uh, uh, I think Shiv Shivon is is okay. At that point, she was okay. That was the way back when, you know. And uh, and then his parting shot to me was, uh, can you be? I hope you just continue just try and be nice to her. Is that okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm paraphrasing what the what the guy actually said, but it was it was something along those lines. Um, I'm I'm wondering if you have any thoughts. The end of the third season of Succession it reinforced how Logan is always one step ahead of his children. Um, I'm wondering what your hopes are for the fourth season. How would you like to see them come back at their father? I know you're not in the writer's room, but what are your hopes for that fourth season? That's the key. That is the key, really. I mean, I, I'm up for the mystery. I'm up for it to be revealed to me. I don't want to second guess. You know, I, I've got my own thoughts about certain things. I've certainly have, and I, and I keep them to myself because that's part of 
maintaining the mystery of what you're doing, you know, the role you're playing. And whatever the Redders decide, they will decide, but it's their, it's their brief, it's their bag, they get on with it. You know, I mean, Jesse's been doing it now for, uh, I don't know, well, not six, yeah, it's, it's, it's nearly six years, it's six years it's been going on from the, from the first pilot. Actually, the first pilot was the, uh, we recorded it on, on the day of uh, the Trump election, you know, we recorded it. And um, I, um, I think that he's, it's going to be how far he feels it can go and where it can go to. I think there are a lot of options now, because I think since for episode three and the end of episode three, there's a whole new paradigm. It's just about to arise. And that, I feel that paradigm should be examined perhaps over two more series. You know. But it may just finish now. I don't know. And actually, it's, I don't really bother. I don't concern myself with that. I'm, I'm more interested in the doing, you know, uh, than, than that. And that's what I, I, you give me what to do and I'll do it. I will, I will work it through from, from where I get it on the paper. So I'm not really concerned in that way. And I, I also think you waste a lot of energy speculating on it. It could be this, it could be that. I have my own thoughts. Naturally, you have your own thoughts because of that. But it's also, it's finally going to be up to Lucy Preble, Georgia Pritchard, Tony Roach, John Brown, and finally Jesse. And I've got two or three of the other writers as well. And that's what it should be. You told the Scotsman, um newspaper that you've issues with po you've had issues with poverty based on your childhood growing up poor and you said you could probably start to quote take your foot off the gas but you won't why not why not do that at 75 when you've reached this level of success well my mother used to have a great expression you're a long time dead <laughs> you're a long time dead and uh, i think that one has to make the most of life you know, life is a gift, and you just don't want to be sitting on your backside most of the time. You want to get up there and do it. And people go, and also I follow the improviser's rule, and the improviser's rule is never say no because the improvisation stops if you say no. But if you say yes and, it means it's ongoing. And that's what, I, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about, I, I'm enjoying my age. I'm enjoying this age more than I've ever enjoyed any other age. I love it. I love being older because there is something freeing about it. So when you're free, you want to start sussing stuff out, doing things. So there's all kinds of possibilities now coming up and it's very exciting. So I'm not about to sit back and say, oh yes, no, I've got my thing. I shall just go and quietly sit on my ranch and smoke my pipe and watch the world go by. I'm, I'm not one of those. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm, part, I'm, I'm, I'm taking part. I'm not about sitting back and going, I mean, you know, I have my, my, my elements of disillusion, but I'm not about to bask in that and go, oh, you know, I just, yeah, come on, let's bring it on, let's get it, let's get it going. Um, I wish it were otherwise, but that is all the time that we have. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. It was lovely to talk to you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.